363. Get your book now. leaders come and bring the Awana children. They'll present the Awana Awards tonight. While they're coming, I've got a couple of requests. Uh, if there's someone uh, here tonight that can help me sew a patch on a uniform, if you could just see me after church, anybody. I've got a clubber that needs some help getting a patch sewed on his uniform, and if you can help me with that, I appreciate it. Also, men... I don't like to do this, but I am at a desperate point, and I am begging, I am begging for workers. We need some men that will help us in Awana, and uh, I know we're getting down towards almost, you know, they'll be over for the summer before you know it, but uh, we desperately need some help. And if you're normally here on Wednesday nights, and you're coming sitting over here, we need some help please come and see me or if you're not sure what we do what it's about please come over this Wednesday night come and find me come and see me and you're willing to just kind of sit in and see what we do but we need some men and I am I am begging you to consider it and uh, we would appreciate anything and God would most definitely be honored in it thank you We have three Sparks getting awards tonight. We're going to start with Rachel Reed. Rachel's earning a green jewel. 
for learn, uh, she had to do a prayer chart for five nights. She had to learn Colossians 1-3. She had to tell a lesson from council time to a family member. She had to bring a visitor. <laughs> and Chelsea Morrow is earning a green jewel also for bringing a visitor. She learned four verses. She had to pray for a missionary for 16 nights. And she had to learn about three missionaries. And Courtney Kennedy's earning a red jewel for learning four verses. She had to recite all the books of the New Testament and find John 3.16 in her Bible. And I think they're going to sing a song for you. It's our Sparky song. Sparks for Jesus, sparks to light the world. We will shine for Jesus as we tell each boy and girl. We will hide God's word in our hearts. third and fourth grade girls and first we have Caitlin Kennedy she finished her Bible drill one and she's getting a go torch Caitlin did nine verses two Bible searches and did the book we have Jordan Mullis uh, she's getting a silver arrowhead for doing environment and health and she studied uh, drugs and did a study on healthy food she's been real busy um, she completed her first yearbook, so she's getting her first book award, and she's also getting a princess patch. She attended church three times and did 12 verses. So here's your award for those. <laughs> also, we were going to recognize two girls for our time of the month. Uh, Jordan Mullis is also our time of the month, and Jordan Spence, and I don't believe she's here tonight. We're the pals, the third and fourth grade young men, and tonight I want to honor two clubbers. First, we have Stephen Gaffin. He has completed activities in both missions and patriotism, and when he did that, he finished his entire Brave Handbook. For this, he receives two Silver Arrowheads and his second year Warrior Handbook. Due to circumstances beyond Ben's control, he has not been here for the past uh, several weeks, so he's got a few awards tonight. First of all, he receives a bronze arrowhead for club attendance during the second quarter. He receives a gold arrowhead for completing his second Bible drill in his Brave Handbook, and this past month, for all of his hard work in Bible quiz and all the section he has completed, he is our Club of the Month of February. Great. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering. And, and uh, Kevin and Awana, do you need them in game time, uh, listening time? Uh, I need them to work uh, in the clubs with some of the older boys' clubs. And they need some help. Mark needs some help. Okay. Some of you men ought to do this. And uh, we got a, our Awana ministry is a great ministry. And uh, a lot of times I know what you think. You think, well, man, I don't know if I can teach or whatever there. It doesn't have to be in a teaching role. There is a lot of support roles that you can serve in Awana. 
and uh, you ought to do this. I mean, get uh, just get involved and serve the Lord. You ought to ask the Lord about uh, uh, if that's what he would have you do. Amen? In fact, I feel he's five of you. He's already speaking to your heart. You ought to come now and dedicate your life to Juana. But some of you, this would be great, especially the men. We appreciate those who do serve there, but uh, there's a lot of support roles there. And I think some of you that hesitate about getting involved in that ministry, uh, so it's a children's ministry. Listen, if you ever got involved, I think it would become a very part of your life. You would love it. You'd live from week to week to week to week in Iwana. So help us in this area if you would. Let's pray and you give tonight and be faithful in your giving. And I know the Lord will bless you. Father, we thank you now for all you're doing. We do pray you meet the need that we have tonight for workers in Iwana. We thank you, Lord, for the many. Lord, that have made commitments to serve in various areas, and we thank you, Lord, for the increase in commitments. And we ask you, Lord, now that you just supply the need we have in every area to do your work. And Father, I believe you have gifted us, and you have provided what we need to do your work, the work that you want us to do, be doing at this point. And Father, it's just a matter of everybody finding your will, hearing your voice, and doing it. So bless now the further part of this service, in Jesus' name, amen.
testify how God took the heat out of the fiery fire. Come on, Daniel, what do you have to say? The lions were made pillows for my head to lay.
Please tonight, victory in Jesus. Want to get out and shake hands with everyone. Find visitors that are here tonight. Make them feel welcome. Shake their hands. Let them know you appreciate them. Victory in Jesus.
Get you a book, 526. Keep shaking hands. Don't stop. Don't worry about that. 526, Victory in Jesus. Most of us already have it memorized, but 526 if you need a book. We're going to ask Terry if she and the children to come on and sing for us again. I know. 
Say amen to that, can't you? Let's open our Bible. Go ahead, Miss Eva. Sure, somebody ought to testify. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm glad that I've been born again too, don't you? That I have had a second birth. I've been born physically. But on April the 2nd, 1972, I was born spiritually. And I thank the Lord for it. Good to have uh, the Boofer and his wife and someone with them tonight from Charleston, South Carolina. His dad's pastor there. And a young couple here. I went to school with his dad. And uh, good to have them with us tonight and then Tim good to have Tim Betty's son here and others glad to have all of our visitors here are you glad they're here say amen we are thrilled about you being with us tonight thank you so much for coming being a part of temple I want you to open your Bibles to 1st Corinthians 12 verse 31 then down to 13 verse 7 and uh, I am going to be merciful to you tonight I know that uh, Last week, I did warn you, I didn't lie to you, I told you up front that I, would, I had a lot of territory to cover and, and that I it would be a little longer than usual, and it was just about five, six minutes longer than usual, and, uh, and I'm lying too, amen. I think about three preachers that were out together one day, and they got to talking about sin and being honest, being accountable to one another, and and one of them said, I'll tell you why. He said, I'll just be honest with you. He said, I, I do have a weakness. And he told what his weakness was. Another one spoke up and said, well, I have a weakness as well. And since you're going to be honest, I'll be honest. And he shared what his weakness was. And so they looked at the third preacher and said, what is your weakness? He said, gossip. And I can't wait to get home. Amen. But... Uh, Mine's a lie, I guess, when it comes to preaching. But I'm going to be merciful to you tonight. I am not going to take near as long as I did. They, 
Ain't something I won't see on TV tonight, so I'm going to be a little shorter than usual. Amen. <laughs> Let's stand as we honor the reading of His Word. We are making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to conclude chapter 12 and move into chapter 13 tonight. And I want us to look, and I'm simply going to call it the circulatory system of the body. And of course, I'm not talking about our physical bodies. I'm talking about the body of Christ. For all of chapter 12 has centered around the body of Christ. But I believe the circulatory system of the body of Christ is what is given to us in 1 Corinthians 13. It is the matter of love. Look at the latter part of verse chapter 12. Look at verse 31. He concludes that chapter. And I'll remind you when we talk about chapters, uh, the chapters in the Bible were added there years later. The chapters were not given by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God didn't put chapters in there. Uh, the translators of the Scriptures added those there so it would help us to better uh, memorize them and work our way through them. So verse 31 really feeds right into chapter 13. But this is what the Scripture said. But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaulteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Let's stop there, and then we'll pick up in verse 8 next Sunday night and conclude the chapter. Thank you. you may be seated. Let's pray. And then let's continue making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. Our Father, tonight as we come to you, we thank you now for the privilege of being able to read your word publicly as well as personally. And we thank you, Lord, that we can come together in a place like this tonight to study the Scriptures, to better understand what you're saying to us, to better understand your will for our life, to better understand your work in our life. Father, as we have come to this particular portion of our study, we have thought about gifts, spiritual gifts, and how each one of us have been gifted of you to serve you in some capacity. I pray, Lord, that as believers that we'll grow in our knowledge of what it is that you want us to do and how you have equipped us to serve you. Father, tonight I pray you'd help us to understand what is to be behind the operation and the use of all of our gifts. So speak to us now. Bless thy word. Give us what is needed now. We'll thank you and praise you for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As most of you know, 1 Corinthians 13 is that great love chapter. When you think about the matter of love, you think of a subject that has been defined in many different ways. Robert Pollock said that love is friendship set to music. 
Another has said that love is the fairest bloom in God's garden. Still another has said that love is the medicine for the sickness of the world. It has been said that love is the one treasure that multiplies by division. It is the one gift that grows bigger the more you take from it. It is the one business in which it pays to be absolute, be an absolute spendthrift. You can give it away, throw it away, empty your pockets, shake the basket, turn the glass upside down, and tomorrow you'll have more than ever. There are many more definitions of love that I could give to you. But in my opinion, the greatest definition and the greatest display and description of love is found right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a portion of Scripture that has been called the hymn of love. It has also been called a lyrical interpretation of the Sermon of the Mount as well as the Beatitudes set to music. It is the great love chapter of the Bible. But there's something that I want you to understand tonight about 1 Corinthians 13. Even though it is the great love chapter of the Bible, it is still a continuation of that which Paul has been discussing. When you come to chapter 13, verse 1, there is really no break. There is not this interjection into what he is saying. From verse 31 in chapter 12 to verse 1 in chapter 13, there is no break. There is a continuation of Paul's discussion of spiritual gifts. I agree with what Warren Wiersbe says in his little book on 1 Corinthians. He said, few chapters in the Bible have suffered more misunderstanding and misapplication than 1 Corinthians 13. He writes, divorce from its context, it becomes a hymn to love or a sentimental sermon on Christian brotherhood. And many people fail to see that Paul was still dealing with the Corinthian problems when he wrote these words. And he is exactly right. We concluded chapter 12 by noticing that there are certain gifts that God has put in the body. Some of them are permanent, some of them are temporary. And last Sunday night we spent five or six minutes looking at the three different groups of gifts and thought about them and whatever. But when you come to chapter 13, he's still not stopped. He is still dealing with the matter of spiritual gifts. Now, someone is defying love as the circulatory system of the body of Christ. And I agree with that definition. And when I look in 1 Corinthians 13, I see that demonstrated. For as Paul is talking about the body of Christ and the matter of gifts, how that every one of us has been given a gift by God, assigned a gift by God, when you continue in chapter 13, it's like he's reminding us now that which makes our gifts effective. It's not only that there are gifts from God, but love is that which will make them useful and beneficial. So I want us to look at the chapter now and continue thinking about spiritual gifts and how they relate or how love relates to them and makes them useful and beneficial. There are three things I point out in the verses that I read a moment ago. The first thing that I want you to notice is the values that love desires. They're the values that love desires. Again, chapter 12. When Paul concludes the chapter, he's actually introducing chapter 13. When Paul said in verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way, he is not concluding one chapter. He is actually introducing what he's about to say. Paul paves the way for when he made that statement in verse 31, covet earnestly the best gifts, and I show unto you a more excellent way. He is paving the way for everything that he's about to say about the matter of love. 
And he's explaining that spiritual gifts are to be accompanied by love. Now, I think about the Corinthian believers. You remember in the very beginning of the book, we saw where Paul made the statement that you come behind in no gift. One area that the Corinthian church was not lacking in was spiritual gifts. That's one of the reasons they had so much problems. They were not deficient when it came to the matter of gifts. Paul said, in no gift are you deficient. In no gift do you come behind. When it came to gifts, they had plenty. But when it came to the matter of love, they were sadly lacking. And all through the book of 1 Corinthians, we have seen demonstrated in many different ways how love lacked in this congregation. In the very beginning, we found all kinds of divisions there. We had one group that liked this preacher better than the other. We had this group that liked this preacher better than the other. One liked this one, one liked that one. And they were fussing and fighting and they were dividing there. And the word was used there was like a scissor ripping, scissors ripping something right down the middle, almost to the point of being irreparable. And so in the very beginning of Corinthians, you find all of this division, people set against one another, plotting against one another, and divided. Schisms in the body. There's not love there. And you find all through the book here all kinds of problems. In 1 Corinthians 11 that we spent a lot of time on, there was what was known as the love feast where the believers would pull their food together and bring their food together for a meal. And the whole purpose of the love feast or the agape was to come together to promote harmony and fellowship. But here's what they were doing. Some of them were coming early so they would not have to sit with certain ones. And some of them were coming early, and instead of sharing their food, some of the rich, instead of sharing their food with the poor, they were coming there early, getting together in that little old group and eating and not sharing, and they would eat their food up before, any, before the poor got there. So when the poor got there, they had maybe a piece of bread and a glass of water, and over here's the rest of them with a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken and, and all these kind of things. They were really eating it up and having a great time. And so instead of promoting fellowship, instead of building up harmony, there was again problems there. So all through the book of 1 Corinthians, you find that they did not lack when it came to certain abilities and certain gifts, but when it came to the matter of love, there was a great deficiency there. And Paul wants them to understand now, and one of the big issues in the church of Corinth was spiritual gifts, and especially some of the more prominent gifts in their mind. Some would say, I speak in tongues. And another says, I have the gift of healing. And they thought these particular showy gifts made them better than everybody else. And they were making others feel inferior. But Paul said, I want you to understand something. God has given every believer a gift, and every gift has been divinely assigned, and every gift is just as important as the other gift. But I want you to understand something that when you minister and when you serve and when you use your gifts, you are to do so in a spirit of love. Now that's what he's saying in verse 31 as he paves the way. Notice more carefully what he says. One thing, he talks about the excellency that love seeks. In verse 31, you notice the words there, covet earnestly, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Let me just say a word here. Let me make it clear, understand that what he is not saying Paul, when he talks about but covet earnestly the best gifts, he is not talking about an individual seeking certain gifts from God. That would be contrary to what he's just said. You notice back in verse 11, for example, chapter 12, but all these worketh that one and the same spirit dividing to every man severally as he will. You remember last Sunday night, one of the points 
that I made was to compare was to compare scripture with scripture if you took that statement alone it would be like Paul is saying you ought to seek gifts you ought to come to God you ought to pray for gifts you ought to seek certain gifts in your life if you leave it alone that's what you get but when you compare it with the scriptures and you look at it in a contextual matter you find that Paul's made it very clear that gifts are not a matter that you seek from God they're given to you by God. They are sovereignly distributed by God. Spiritual gifts is not like a spiritual cafeteria that you go through and you say, well, I like that one, I want one of those, and I want three of those, and I want this gift, and I want that gift, and you choose your gifts. It's not a matter of coming to God and saying, Lord, I believe I'd like to have this gift in my life. I believe I'd like to do this. Now give me these gifts. No. He said he divides every man severally as he wills. That is, what gifts you have, you didn't have a choice in them. They are God's will for your life. So when he talks about covet earnestly the best gifts, he is not saying that we are to come to God and seek certain kinds of gifts. Again, because that would be contrary to what he just said. But the words covet earnestly there are words that simply mean to have a strong affection toward or to be heartily devoted to. Now, he's saying that you are to have a strong affection or to be devoted to a certain kind or kind. What you ought to be as a believer is that you ought to have a great passion for and a great affection and a great devotion for the best gifts. Now, what are the best gifts? You cannot help as you study these chapters to realize that Paul puts certain promise on some gifts than he does in the others. And when you look at it in his context, as we will see moving into chapter 13, that when he's talking about the best gifts, he is talking about those gifts that have a continuing ministry in the church and to the church. He will say in a few verses here that there are some gifts that have a temporary nature and they fade away. But the best gifts are those that will remain in the church and will have a continuing ministry from the church. And Paul said, I want you to realize you're making a big deal about all these gifts here, but the thing you ought to have a devotion, affection for is those best gifts. Those gifts that will continue to minister to the church throughout the ages. Again, in chapter 13, he helps us to understand that. But notice in verse 31, he continues by saying, but yet I show unto you a more excellent way. You see, there were certain Corinthian believers that were making a big deal out of spiritual gifts, especially tongues, which he deals with in chapter 14. And they were making a big deal out of these gifts, but they were sadly lacking in love. And this is what Paul is saying. He said, I want you, your devotion and your affection ought to be not toward temporary matters, but more permanent matters. And he said, I want you to understand there is a more excellent way to use gifts in what you're doing. There were some, again, had their gifts and they were using them for their own benefit. Look at me. I've got this gift. You don't have this gift. You're not as spiritual as me or you would have this and whatever there. Instead of loving one another, they were putting one another down and so forth. But Paul says, no, 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 no. There's a better way to do this thing. There is a more excellent way. There's a more greater way in which the spiritual gifts are to be used. And that leads to the next point. Not only the excellence that love seeks, but the edification that love seeks. What is the more excellent way that he's talking about? Yet I show unto you. And he begins to show us in verse 1 of chapter 13. And what he is talking about, the more excellent way that is sought is when gifts edify the body. Now what are the purpose of spiritual gifts? They're to profit. 
My gifts are to benefit you, to build you up in the faith. Your gifts are to benefit me, vice versa. All of our gifts are to profit one another. And Paul says, you're not benefiting anybody. He said, there's a better way. There's a more excellent way. He said, that is that when gifts are ministered to in love, they will benefit. To illustrate the point, Paul uses some hypothetical situations in chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. And each of these hypothetical situations are identified by the words, though I. Look at them. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, have not charity, that is love, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Now, Paul, it's like he gives these hypothetical situations. Let's just say, like Paul is saying, well, what if I did this? In verse 1, Paul says, what if I spoke with great eloquence of language? And I spoke with the greatest elegance of language, even a language out of this world. The word tongues that is used there in verse 1 is not referring to the gift of tongues. It's literally the word language, which the gift of tongues is as well, but that's not what he's referring to here. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men, have the great eloquence of men, and even the eloquence of the angels, if I was a great orator, and I had not love that I am nothing more than a banging and a clanging sound. Verse 2, he talks about the gift of prophecy, which he would later call the greatest of all the gifts. And Paul said, if I had the greatest of all the gifts, and I had great understanding and knowledge of all spiritual truth, and on top of that, though in great faith, I had the faith so strong that I could say, be under that mountain, be ye removed, and that mountain would be removed. But if I had not love, he said, I am nothing. Literally, the words I am nothing literally is I am a nobody. It'd be like I didn't even exist. It's like, I, what good do I be? I'm not, I'm not making any good. I'm not benefiting anybody. I'm not profiting, profiting anybody. It's as if I wasn't even around. I'm a nobody. Verse 3 goes on to say that if I even gave everything I had to the poor, I took all of my money, drew it out of my savings account, cashed in my mutual funds. I took everything I had and gave everything to help the poor. And I helped them, gave everything to them. And not only that, but gave the ultimate sacrifice. I became a martyr. He said, if I did all that and I did not do it in love, it profiteth me nothing. In other words, what he's saying, and the point is very clear, that I can do all these things and I can do all these great deeds and I can supposedly minister in all these great gifts, but if I do not have love, it does not benefit me. It does not benefit anyone else. Again, the point is clear. When spiritual gifts are used in love, they become profitable. They become usable and they edify others. You see, the values that love seeks are spiritual gifts that in which are empowered by love. You see, gifts are important. 
but they're being operated in love is even more important. And it's not only important what you do, but it's very important why you do it. You see, it's easy for you to get up here. A person could get up here and sing or a person could get up here and testify and testify and talk about all that they do or they could sing, but yet in their heart there is no love. Listen to me. Paul is telling me that you don't benefit anybody. You don't do yourself any good. You don't do anybody else any good because that which makes your abilities and gifts usable and beneficial to others is when they are backed by Love. Are you with me? That's the values that love seeks to edify one another. But look also beginning in chapter 4, verse 4, chapter 13, verse 4. You not only see the values that love desires, but you also see the vices that love discards. Notice verse 4 through 7. He gives a list of the qualities of love. We read, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaulteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Now, he's just gone through telling us that what makes gifts beneficial is if they're done in love. What makes our ministry useful is when we do it in love. Now he says, I want you to understand what love is. And when he gives us this list of the qualities of love, he tells us what is there, when, what is present when there is love. But he also tells us what is absent when there is not love. Or when, when, what is absent when there is love. In other words, he tells us if you really love, then there are going to be certain things discarded in your life. There'll be certain things that will be absent in your life. Let me just point out a few of them here. For one thing, when we minister in love, envy will be discarded. You look in verse 4. Notice the words, charity envieth not. You see, when a person really loves, when you do what you do in love and when there's love in your heart, it does not begrudge what others have. Love does not produce a jealous, envious, bitter spirit when others are blessed. You see, when there is love, envy will be absent. Envy will be discarded. If somebody gets to sing more than you, it'll not affect you. Somebody gets recognized more than you, it won't bother you. When somebody gets attention more than you or somebody is successful more than you or somebody is blessed, love envieth not. It does not begrudge what others have. It does not begrudge what happens to others. Second of all, not only will envy be discarded, but conceit will be discarded. Look in verse 4. We read, charity vaulteth not itself, is not puffed up. Won't you understand something about love? It does not parade itself. Love does not give itself airs. Love knows nothing about a spirit that is always demanding attention. Love knows nothing about a spirit that must be recognized and applauded. Love is content to serve without any praise, without any accolades, without any attention whatsoever. It vaulteth not itself. Love is not puffed up. Thirdly, you find in verse 5 that rudeness will be discarded. It doth not behave itself unseemly. In other words, love is not rude. I remember years ago, 
Dr. Deb, Jack Hudson, Charlotte, North Carolina. I went down to visit him one time, and I sat down my little notepad, and I said, Dr. Hudson, I want to be used of God. And I said, I want you to tell me how to do something for God and how to do a great work for God. And I had my little note pen pad there. I was going to write all these things down. And I remember that day, he, he started talking about sheep and shepherds. And he started talking about this and talking about this and whatever like that. And I remember that day sitting there thinking, there, you're not making a bit of sense to me, and you're not saying anything that will help me. Two years later down the road, and I realized the wisdom of what he's saying. But one day, I remember I asked him the question. I said, you have known many great men of God you have known many great men of God. What one thing have you found in common about them all? And I thought he would say they all prayed from 4 to 8 in the morning or they all read 20 chapters a day in the Bible. I thought he'd give me some kind of answer like that. And I remember he said to me without a moment's hesitation, he said, I found all of them to be a gentleman, good-mannered. And I thought that was an interesting answer, one I did not appreciate at that time, but have grown to appreciate. But what he says here, one thing about love, one of the things that he'll discard, it will not behave itself unseemly. Love is not rude. When love is there, there is always thoughtful consideration of others. I hear somebody say, well, I don't care what they feel. I don't care what they think. This is what I'm doing. This is how I feel about it. If they don't like it, they can lump it, bump it, dump it, or jump it. I don't care what they think about the matter. But he says love doesn't think that way. Love is thoughtful of others. It is thoughtful of the feelings of others so that neither word nor deed causes hurt or injury. Are you still with me? Rudeness will be discarded. Verse 5, selfishness will be discarded. He said in verse 5 that love seeketh not her own. Love does not put oneself above the needs of others. You mark this down. You find somebody that all they think about is themselves. And all they live for is themselves. They know nothing about love. Love always puts others above their own needs. You notice in verse 5, get this one, love, irritability will be discarded. <laughs> verse 5 is not easily provoked. Can I give you just a downright earthly translation of that? Love is not touchy. It is not resentful. It is not quick to take offense. And we'll pass off on that one, move right on into the next one there, amen. I don't think I have a bad temper. You about all ask Sherry about that or whatever there. But he says that love is not easily provoked. It takes a lot to get a person upset. They just don't get mad at a, at a moment or just one little thing don't make them mad. They're not resentful. In verse 5, revenge will be discarded. Love thinketh no evil. You say the word thinketh, that is a very fascinating word. It's a word used for keeping accounts. You might write down in the margin of your Bible that love does not keep little black book. Love thinketh no evil. That is, you're not keeping an account. You don't have a little black book in which you have got your hurts and your disappointments wrote down in. It's not a matter you're going to write it down and whenever you get your chance, you get even somewhere down the road. No love thinketh no evil. 
Love doesn't keep accounts. Love doesn't carry around a little black book. Love does not harbor injuries in its heart. You'll notice in verse 6 that malice will be discarded. He said in verse 6, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoice, rejoiceth in the truth. I've met those that honestly, they wanted, it's like they couldn't wait to share with me. Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? And it's like they couldn't wait. They're so excited. Somebody's failed. Somebody's falling into sin. And they were so excited. They won't, they won't let me know that they knew about it and what had happened there. Well, he says that love does not rejoice in iniquity. We hear about somebody's mistakes. When we hear about somebody's failures. Hear about somebody falling, it ought to drive us to our knees saying, but for the grace of God, there go I. Not rejoicing or glad because someone goes astray. No, love doesn't know that kind of spirit. Love doesn't know a spirit of gossip or a spirit of destruction of reputations. No, love rejoiceth not in iniquity. Love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in good things. You see, when there's love in your life, when you're full of God love and, and the love of God shed abroad in your heart, these things will be discarded in your life. They'll be absent. Conceit, envy will be absent. Conceit will be absent. Rudeness will be absent. Selfishness will be absent. Irritability will be absent. Revenge will be absent. Malice will be absent. You see, love always drives out certain things. A heart full of love is filled with good things. And that leads me to the third and the final thing. You not only see the values that love desires, a more excellent way, and the vices that love discards, but the virtues love displays. You see, you look in 1 Corinthians 13, you find that there are some things that will not be around when there's love. But on the other hand, in 1 Corinthians 13, you find some things that will be around when there is love. For example, let me give them to you quickly and I close. For one thing, patience will be present. You look in verse 4. He says, charity suffereth long. He's simply saying love is a very patient thing. Love is a very, very patient thing. Verse 4, not only will patience be present, but kindness will be present. And verse 4, and he's also said love is very patient, charity suffereth long, and is kind. I want to tell you something. There's a gentleness about love. Like I said a while ago, it's not that spirit that uh, wants to hurt people. But when there is love there, there's a fear of hurting. And the aim of life is helping an individual. And you're not so quick to say something to hurt someone or to have the kind of attitude. Sometimes you'll even eat, eat crow. Sometimes you'll even swallow your own pride for fear that it might hurt or hinder someone else. There's a gentleness about love. You find in verse 7 that endurance will be present. Verse 7, he says, love beareth all things. See, love holds on. Love holds out. He said confidence will be present in verse 7. Love believeth all things. You have found somebody that really loves one another. That they'll believe the very best about people. Have you ever noticed that? You can see someone on the news that's guilty. They videoed them. They videoed them shooting somebody. I mean, they called them out there in the street. Had the gun, shot him, 
It's right there on TV. But mama says, I don't believe my boy would do that. Have you ever seen that happen? You know what that is? It's love. You see, love has that way of believing all things. It's not one that rejoiceth at evil. It doesn't quickly jump at hearing a bad story. But love, when there's real love there, it holds out. It believeth all things. It believes the very best about people. When there's not love, you're always looking for the worst in people. But love believes the best about people. Are you with me? Say amen. Verse 7, you'll find that hopefulness will be present. He said, verse 7, it hopeth all things. I found one thing about love. When all grounds seemingly are lost, love still has hope. A child can go to the devil, but a love of a parent still believes that somewhere that girl, that boy, will turn out to be all right. What is it? It's love. And the same thing in the body of Christ. It believeth all things. Love in the body believes the best about someone. You think, no, 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 they would never do that. And even if they did, you still hope out that somewhere they'll come back. Somewhere they'll be different. That's love. You find in verse 7, finally, that persistency will be present. Love endureth all things. I have found this. Love just keeps on loving. Love is unconditional. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, when he talks about charity, he uses the word agape. It is the word used where God so loved the world. And one thing about agape love in the Bible, it is not a sensual or a sexual type love. It is not some emotion. But when the Bible in 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love, it is talking about an act of the will. A decision that you make. For example, love your enemies, Jesus said. Now somebody has just got through tearing you down. Are you to say, oh, I love you? No, the truth of the matter is, if you're a human being, you're thinking, how could I kill him and nobody ever know about it? <laughs> Am I not right? Say amen. You didn't say amen. You just... You've got the same weakness I have. You're a liar. Say amen right there. <laughs> but it's not what you feel. It's not this mushy feeling. Oh, he cut my throat, but I love him so much. No, it's an act of the will where you say, I am not going to act like him or her. She or he may walk around as if the whole world is mad. But I'm not going to act that way. And he or she may run me down and they may put me down and they may tear me down, but I will not. Even though I want to. And even though my human nature cries out for revenge, I choose not to behave that way. And I will behave toward them in a way that is reflective of the Savior that lives within my heart. That's agape love. That's an act of the will. That's a decision to behave a certain way. And when he talks about love here, he's talking about you making the decision. This is the way I'm going to do. He said when there's love, there's certain things that will be absent. When there's love, there's certain things that will be present. Now you take the church of Corinth. Imagine it now. All the problems that was in it. All this division, all this fussing, all this fighting, all this mistreatment of members, whatever. 
If they had done everything they had done in love, do you think they would have had those problems? Not at all. And Paul says, look, I want you to understand something. The whole purpose of gifts, the thing I want you to desire is the edification of believers. Desire those gifts that build up one another. And I want you to understand there's a more excellent way, par excellent way of doing things, and that is do what you do in love. And so I want you to understand what I mean by love. And he says, if you'll do it in love, then it eliminate these problems. In other words, our spiritual gifts, it is one thing, look, to get up and say, I have the gift of showing mercy, and you're running around grumbling all the time. They don't work together. He's talking about love. Let's stand our feet, please. It's a great chapter. Next Sunday night, we'll move into the closing verses. It shows that there is a temporary, there's some gifts that are of temporary nature. But what he's, what he's really saying to us is to the church of Corinth and to all of us is that behind all we do, there is to be love. We're to serve God in love. We're to serve with love. We're to serve in a spirit of love. We're to serve in an attitude of love. We had a greeters training class this night. We met and I introduced the greeters ministry to those that were there. And we talked about how we care for one another and what we're here to help one another and to do little things to make it's easy for visitors, and not only for visitors, but for everybody. And we talked about how really serving God and knowing God is just really caring about one another and reaching out to one another and loving one another and doing things for one another. That's what he's talking about. Heads about her eyes are closed. We're going to sing one stanza in just a moment. I want you to do something tonight. Either you slip in on your seat and walk down here and kneel on the altar or stand right there at your pew. But I want you to do something tonight. I want you to say, Lord, I want you to put in me the kind of love he talked about. A love that will drive out certain things in my life and a love that will fill my life with certain things. It'll drive out the vices and fill my heart with the virtues. Lord, help me to love this way. So many authors have so correctly said that when you read 1 Corinthians 13, you could read, replace charity with the name Jesus and all of them would be descriptive of His life on earth. And that is a good way to look at it. Jesus suffereth long. Jesus vaulteth not himself, is not puffed up, and on and on and on and on. Really, 1 Corinthians 13 is the Christ life being lived out of us. That's what spiritual gifts are all about. Asking to put in your heart that kind of love. Father, in Jesus' name, help us to love the way you want us to love. We want to serve you and we want to be a part of your work and we want to discover our gifts that we might be enabled and equipped to do your work. But, Father, help us never to forget that we're to do all that we do in love. That we're to serve you in love. The operation of our gifts are to be in love. Where, where we serve and how we serve is to be done with love. So speak to us and help us, Lord, tonight. Make us a loving people. Let us be like Christ in the way that we love. Love unconditionally. Love, Lord, continually. Lord, help us to love the way you want us to love. Fill us with this Christ-like quality. We thank you now for what you're doing for us. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing, you may want to come and pray. You want to praise you. Stand at your feet as we sing. Come on. One stanza, and then we'll be going in just a moment as we sing. Come. Yes. The Spirit of the Lord is. 
Listen. Yes. Where the spirit of the Lord is. Yes. There is love. Absolutely. That you can there be certain of. There is comfort in life's darkest hour. Yes. There is light and Others. There is help and power in the Spirit. Yes. In the Spirit. Amen. Of the Lord. You believe that? Say amen. Love. Ministering to one another. As we move in this year, part of our 2000 vision is just ministering, loving, caring for one another. As a body of believers, loving one another, caring for one another, demonstrating such truths as 1 Corinthians 13, reaching out, ministry. That's what it's all about. Living for eternal things and not just for earthly things. That's really it in a nutshell. As a church, I want you to reach out to others, minister to one another, think about others who have needs, Minister to them this week. Think about how you can do something to help somebody going through a hard time. A phone call, a card, or a note, a visit. On Thursday night, our visitation night, we need all of you that will to come and join us as we go out. It's our faith night as well, but faith is visitation. Don't misunderstand that. It's because you're not in faith. We still want you to come. That's all part. We're all going out. Just ones will go out in a, using a different method in their presentation of the gospel and you'll be using that later on but we need you on Thursday night as we go out to visit folks folks who are here today we want to go to them and let them know how glad they were here today and there are other things you have family members and friends and loved ones try to get them in church work to get them in church and move to get them in church someone someone is talking to our deacons of course we're gone this Sunday or this this Sunday morning visiting and I I spoke to Brian or whatever there and I said how did you sum it up? He said, well, I didn't see anything that they don't have that we don't have, just a lot more of it. And I said, that's exactly why I wanted you to go. I wanted you to understand that we have all that is necessary to do a very special work for God. Are you listening to me? We have the ingredients. All that we need is a level of commitment that supersedes the average. And we can do it. You believe that? And everybody, go out about the master's business. There are folk here visiting. Now, you take the time. Go by and meet them. Introduce yourself, Sunday school teachers, your Sunday school classes. Let them know how glad we are to have them and invite them back. You're dismissed. I'll be here Wednesday night. Don't miss the services. Bring someone with you.